my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. <laughs> yes, welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, everyone. I'm Rico, your host. This is podcast number 167 for March the 30th. 2008. That little clip there will give you uh, a little bit of a taste for the type of show you're going to listen to this week. It's not going to be about Trek mainly. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, old science fiction films from mostly the 1950s and that era of when, you know, oh, things that are happening now will be happening in the future, like the guy said on that clip. And uh, just, you know, that era of films was a lot of fun. It's still fun to watch, and I thought it'd be good to do a podcast about those. So that'll be coming up later on the show. We'll have our usual segments about uh, the Trek movie and, and other sci-fi topics, uh, a collectible later on in the show, and all kinds of uh, good stuff in between. So stay tuned. And we have a special treat for you. We have another segment uh, from Bob and Gebular, done by the Moyers. Here they go with uh, another trip down the alien way so uh, i'll be back right after this last time on treks and sci-fi bob and gebular erased rico but due to the great technology that exists today bob and gebular brought rico back we did yes we did oh what are you doing i am shopping online what are you shopping for something the earthers call Microwave popcorn. Popcorn? Yes, popcorn. Rico is reviewing old sci-fi movies today. I have rented some old sci-fi movies, and we must make popcorn and watch them. What is popcorn? Popcorn is a small cylindrical object made out of organic material and fried in hot liquefied vegetable fat. That sounds unhealthy. Yes, it does sound unhealthy, but we have no arteries to clog. You are very right, Bob. We should go to Waldash Mart. Yes, let's go to Waldash Mart for microwave popcorn. Yay! Welcome to Walmart. Can I help you? Can you take us to your Rico? No, Gabular. Take us to your microwave popcorn. Oh. Why is that man so wrinkly? Wrinkly? I think he is retired. Mile five, gentle thingies. Oh, here they are. A whole row. There is a plethora of popcorn choices. Look, Jolly Time, Jiffy Pop. Oh my, I think I see the old man from the front of the store. Yes, the same glasses and everything. I will name him Orville. Orville Redenbacher. I think we should pop it now. Yes, get out your phasers and set them to microwave. Here we go. Oh my. Oh. Holy popping small little yellow vegetables, Bob. Ooh. Popcorn. Sci-fi. We need to clean up on aisle five. Uh, since we have a lot of popcorn around, clean up on aisle five. Bob, yes, I think we should go. People are coming. Crap. 
<laughs> that was great. Thanks, guys. Uh, another excellent segment uh, with our favorite aliens, Bob and Gebular, brought to us by the Moyers. Thanks a lot, guys. Always great to listen to those. Do a great job. And again, welcome to the show, everyone. This is Rico. If you are uh, new to the show, this is Treks and Sci-Fi. We talk about Star Trek, sci-fi, collectibles, movies, TV, all kinds of things like that uh, that us geeks like. And if you've been here a long time, I appreciate you uh, again downloading the show and listening to it. What's the latest on the new Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Well, we've got a few things uh, this week to report on the Star Trek movie, uh, still set for a May 2009 premiere. Uh, the big news probably is that principal photography has finished. They finished uh, just this past Thursday on March 27th, which uh, which means it was a fairly long shoot. They started back in November, November 11th. Uh, uh, principal photography started then. It was about a 20-week long shoot, which is only, uh, here's a little bit of trivia for you, it's only the... Uh, second longest in Star Trek film history. The longest shoot for a Star Trek film was, of course, the first one, Star Trek The Motion Picture, which took about 24 weeks to film. So this one is just uh, about a month shy of that record. Of course, there's still some second unit stuff to do without some of the principal cast and little pickup shots and stuff, but that's not really uh, counted towards, you know, when you set a a principal photography uh, time frame or record or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that has finished. The main cast, J.J. Abrams, are pretty much off the hook now for the film. And now it begins the big pickup shots, editing, special effects. ILM is doing uh, the special effects. They've already been started and are working on those diligently. And I'm sure we'll be working on those uh, pretty feverishly over the next several months. Uh, they're still sort of targeting towards the end of the year to have the film pretty much wrapped up and in the can. Uh, you know, they've uh, they pushed that movie date back to May, but they're still saying they're kind of going to try to have it mainly wrapped up by then. I, I could see them still doing some tweaks and things well into early next year since the film won't be coming out until May. Uh, another little bit of uh, sort of bit casting news. Jeffrey Quinn, who uh, has played uh, Spock on the Star Trek New Voyages fan film, or fan films, I should say, although he's... In the last one, I believe he was replaced, so I'm not sure if he's go- he's gone for good from New Voyages or he just couldn't uh, work it in in his schedule at that time. Anyway, he uh, has played Spock on these New Voyages fan films, does a good job, uh, and he's gotten a little bit of a bit part on the movie as well as just his, uh, his friend and co-worker on those films, James Cawley, who pretty much heads up New Voyages. He plays Kirk. He, he pretty much runs the show over there. He also had a little walk-on bit part in the movie, too. So that's kind of cool. You know, I like them doing that kind of thing. I think that shows that they're really in touch with the community of Star Trek fans and people that, you know, can make a difference in, in making this movie a success and drum up some business. Uh, it's it's just good PR. There's no reason not to do it. There there appear to be lots of scenes in this movie, or at least several where there's easy you know opportunities to put just people in the background, Starfleet Academy shots, and you know it's great that they're able to do this uh, and you know kind of give some things back to the community, even though these guys are you know not your average fan, I should say. They're they're fairly well known in Star Trek circles, and you know they've they've done some pretty cool stuff. So it's uh, it's real nice that JJ and his crew have decided to do this kind of thing. Also, there were some new images that popped up online. I think maybe ain't it cool news.com again uh, 
uh, was the first one to release these, although they've disappeared off several sites. Uh, I've got them on my forum. If you're interested, you could take a look at them there and sign up uh, if you're not a member of the forum. Just go to treksinsci-fi.com, click on the forums link, and take a look. Uh, there are about four of these, four or five of these shots. Uh, basically, they showed uh, a picture of one of uh, some type of uniform with the Delta Shield on it. They also had a picture of what looked like a you know an Enterprise shuttlecraft, a Starfleet shuttle of some type, and they showed the, an exterior and an interior shot of that. Uh, they look uh, look to be making a lot of the uh, look and sets of this movie sort of Enterprise like, you know in the future to a degree, but also uh, things that we're sort of familiar with, computers and buttons and knobs and switches, and, you know, not the, the very sleek touch panels, of course, of the next generation era. This looks to be a little bit more uh, of our type of uh, technology. So that's, uh, I, I like the look so far, although the uniform situation, it's a little hard to say right now, and uh, I'm trying to keep uh, fairly spoiler-free myself, and Try not to share too many uh, big secrets with the community out there, but uh, I don't think there's a whole lot on these uh, pictures that really gives a lot away of the show. And I think you could also expect some of the way this stuff looks uh, to a degree. So anyway, those uh, pictures are still floating around online and on the forum. And the uh, last little tidbit I wanted to throw along uh, to everyone out there is that Ron Moore, of course, I don't think I... I'm not sure if I mentioned this on last week's podcast. I might have, so I'm sorry for repeating myself. But he got a chance, I guess, to visit these sets. Ron Moore, of course, is uh, formerly of working on TNG uh, as a writer. And, of course, he's very well known now for doing the new Battlestar Galactica, executive producing and writing that show. Uh, he uh, ha- had a chance to visit J.J. Abrams and the sets and saw what was going on over on the Star Trek movie set and was quite impressed. He he's, thinks it's going to be a big hit. He uh, thought that they were doing a great job, and it would really reinvigorate the sort of overall Star Trek franchise, which is, you know, I, I trust Ron Moore quite a bit, so I, I think those are very encouraging words, and I think most of us are feeling the same way. So I think that's about all I wanted to say. There's a few other little tidbits of uh, Star Trek movie news. Always trekmovie.com is a great place to look for those. Uh, but that's all for this week on the movie of a Star Trek uh, <laughs> I guess just called Star Trek. Yes, Star Trek 11 or Star Trek coming out next May. What's going on in the world of sci-fi? Okay, for uh, the sci-fi news segment, uh, the biggest thing I wanted to talk about, of course, is the uh, fourth season premiere of Battlestar Galactica is coming up uh, this coming Friday, April 4th on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, check your local listings, of course, uh, especially for those outside the United States. Uh, I'm not sure different countries get it at different times. Uh, but anyway, this uh, this series is really uh, you know well anticipated. It's been a long time since Battlestar was on new episodes of it, and I'll be there on Friday night watching it uh, with uh, my microwave popcorn, like Bob and Gebular were saying, and some Gatorade uh, or some kind of drink. Uh, it, uh, they did show this past Friday, and they're still rerunning these, I believe, uh, a couple of half-hour sci-fi specials. One was sort of a history of the show a little bit, uh, talking to uh, both David Icke and Ron Moore, the executive producers of the show, talking about where the show has been, a little bit about the characters. And the other half-hour was uh, about the whole Battlestar Galactica phenomenon. And the cool thing about that part of the show was they talked to a lot of uh, – celebrities some musicians uh the most pe- the people i remember him talking to the most i guess 
were Joss Whedon of uh, Buffy fame and Firefly, of course, and a, a lot of other projects. Uh, great writer. And uh, they also talked to this guy from, uh, I, I think the group is called Anthrax. I'm not a big fan, but he was a big Galactica fan. And just a lot of other people, a couple of actors from Law & Order. And it was really cool to uh, to hear everybody's different take about the show. And, and it just got everyone, or got myself at least, really pumped to see the, the fourth season coming up. I think it's going to be great. Uh, the only thing I would have liked to have seen on that show would for, for them to maybe gone out into, I don't know, a mall or a convention and just interviewed real quickly some, you know, your average day fans, you know, not big celebrities. Although I can understand for a TV, you know, half hour special where they the reason they did it this way. But I would have liked to have seen a few minutes with just your average Joe and, you know, or Joe or Mary, let's just say. Let's keep it both uh, sexes. So. <laughs> But that, uh, other than that, and that's even just a tiny little thing, I thought they did a great job on both those specials, and it got me real excited for season four. And there's not a huge amount going on on TV or at the movies right now in the sci-fi or fantasy realm. There's a new movie with Jodie Foster I know coming up. I think it's called uh, Nim's Island, which looks kind of fun. She's kind of this book author and kind of a recluse and goes off on this adventure. It's it, It's probably a little bit more for the younger crowd, although it looks kind of fun. Uh, it uh, it also features uh, Gerard Butler, who, of course, was in 300. He looks like he's got a cool part in the movie, so I might be checking that one out. Uh, also, that uh, comedy kind of thing, the superhero movie, came out a couple of days ago, which looks real funny. I'm not sure if I'll get a chance or go see it in the movie theater, but it does look like a good time, and they spoof all the... Uh, superhero movies like Spider-Man and the X-Men and all that. So that's it for the sci-fi stuff. Uh, let's move forward. So okay, I've got uh, a voicemail here uh, from uh, a listener, new uh, contributor or caller to the show, Charlie. He uh, wrote in with some comments about last week's show. Oh, I just wanted to also mention, if you ever want to contact me, treksf at gmail.com. Or the voicemail, 206-666-127. Send in your comments about uh, movies, TV, books, whatever you'd like to talk about, or just comments about the podcast. Those are always welcome. And here's Charlie's call. Hey, Rico, this is Charlie calling from Sandy, Utah. Just wanted to call and uh, give my two cents about this week's uh, podcast. I've been a listener for about a year now, probably a little bit more than a year. A friend of mine is a huge Star Trek fan and asked me to look for some podcasts. And so I found some. We are postal service employees, so I'm going to go a little postal here for you. Uh, I thought that it was great. I'm not a huge uh, Battlestar Galactica fan. The only uh, sci-fi that I would be a big fan of would probably be Star Wars. Anyway, I thought it was really silly of uh, Jedi Jeff that he was calling Chewbacca, Chewbacca. Anyway, that's my own little silliness. Uh, anyway, keep up the good work. Love your show. And keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Bye. Okay, that, uh, let me uh, probably explain the way uh, Jeff says uh, Chewbacca, or he says it more of a Chewbacca, I guess. I believe the only reason that is is that Jeff is Canadian and he has a bit of an accent there and it comes out that way when he says the name. Uh, so I don't think there's any uh, problem with that. I've visited a lot of different places in the world and you should hear how they say uh, 
Chewbacca in Taiwan. Oh my gosh, or, or, or any English word basically. So it's I think it's just a simple accent thing. So no harm, no foul, and uh, I don't think he was uh, he was meaning anything by that. So that's uh, all for the calls. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention. Uh, we'll probably be doing a Star Trek episode on next week's show. So that uh, will be taking place, of course, as usual, on next Sunday. Oh, I also wanted to mention, uh, again, the forums and the RPG game. Uh, definitely both uh, things you want to check out if you're a fan of the podcast and Star Trek in general and like to do a little creative writing. Go over there and check that out. And the big announcement that I wanted to mention on this week's show is I am doing another T-shirt run. And uh, sort of to explain that, uh, I'll come back and give you some more details, but here's a little segment from uh, Rick Moyer again about the new uh, run of T-shirts for Treks in Sci-Fi, the podcast. Hey, fellow Treks in Sci-Fi fans, want to show off your geeky goodness? Why not get the all-new, limited-edition Treks in Sci-Fi T-shirt? This time, the black tee sports the Treks in Sci-Fi logo with our good friend Spock and his iPod on the front and the ever-popular URL on the back, www.treksinsci-fi.com. Go online, visit the forums, and order yours today. 25 bucks gets you the shirt and the shipping if you live in the United States. But hey, you cool outlanders are good to go too. A little extra, and Rico will beam your shirts to your country as well. The Treks in Sci-Fi Geeky Goodness T-Shirt. Get yours today. Yeah, good job. Thanks, Rick. He's uh, very good at putting together those things. Uh, almost, you know, just it, it makes it a lot more fun, at least for me, than just for me to talk about those subjects. Uh, anyway, the T-shirts, they're black. Uh, they are going to be uh, with the logo, like he said, on the front this time instead of the back, which I've done the last couple times. There is also some text uh, on the front and on the back. You can see a picture of these. There are two places you can check this out. Just go to treksandsci-fi.com, up in the menu, choices up there. There's a link that just says T-shirts, and click on that, and you'll open a page to order yours, and you can check out what they look like. Also, there's a link on the forums in a couple places as well. So they're $25, uh, shipped to U.S., Canada, Mexico, and there's, I think, an extra $6 for shipping them overseas, which you can also do uh, when you order uh, a couple of other things. One, uh, I'm only taking orders for the next couple of weeks till April 15th. I picked, uh, I guess that's tax day too. I think figured the end, middle of the month of April. So for the next couple of weeks, we'll be taking orders. Then I place the bulk order with the t-shirt making company, and I will then be shipping those out to you when I get them. So probably if all goes well, by the end of May or so, most people should have them. Uh, it, it's This is the way I've done it, and I'm working with the same company again I've done in the past. Uh, it seems to work best this way, and I get a better price with a, a bulk order like this rather than everyone going to them and individually ordering a shirt. It's not really like Cafe Press, which uh, I've tried to use in the past, but they have a little trouble with that Spock logo. They've told me it infringes on copyright things and all that stuff, and I'm like, well, it's artwork. I don't understand that situation. I, I may have talked about this before, but... I was never able to get that across to them. Maybe we'll make a more generic shirt sometime and put it up on Cafe Press, something with uh, you know some just some lettering and maybe some kind of a logo that they'd be okay with. But for now, this is your way to get a Trex and Sci-Fi shirt for the upcoming spring-summer convention season to wear. And it's black, which is always cool. Uh, although during the summer months, sometimes out in the sun, black can be a little warm. But anyway, order yours now. This man is bald. He is completely bald. 
He is not wearing a hairpiece. He has not had painful surgery or transplants. He is wearing the amazing new Captain K Titanium Toupee. The Captain K Titanium Toupee is the solution to your bald or balding problem. It is completely undetectable even during the most intimate first contact. So you can wear it during every moment of your active life. That's right. You can swim in it, live in it, laugh in it, love in it, even clobber Klingons or Ram Romulans all without fear of embarrassment. How much would you expect to pay for this unbelievable scientific breakthrough that makes all previous forms of hair replacement completely obsolete? 50 Latin bars? 100? 1,000? Well, get a grip on your command console. Because thanks to this amazing subspace super channel limited time offer, you can order your Captain K titanium toupee for the unbelievably low price of only $9.99. That's right, just $9.99. Plus COD postage and handling. To order, call 1-800-555-5100. This is a toll-free transmission. Just dial 1-800-555-5100 and your waterproof, rust-free, all titanium toupee will be in the mail tonight, winging its way to your head. Order now and get a beautiful set of six sort of Kalis stainless steel steak knives absolutely free. You'll never pay less for Kalis if you treat your cranium to pure titanium, but you must order now. Operators are standing by. Just call 1-800-555-5100 or save COD postage and handling charges by just sending $9.99 to Captain K Titanium to pay offer. Post Office Box Beta Double T Deep Space 6 Famous Brand Nebula 06844. Join the hundreds of men in sports, business, and deep space exploration who have found the Captain K Titanium Toupee to be the solution to their bald or balding problem. You'll be glad you did. And so will she. Oh, I love to run my fingers through your hair. It's so... Ow. Oh, shit. I'm bleeding. Do I need a tetanus shot for this? Yeah, that's another Bob Picardo... uh... He played the Doctor, of course, on Voyager. Another little bit from him uh, sent in by Nathaniel. I've got a couple more of those to use. So thanks a lot for that. Always fun to play those. And uh, he seems like he's really got a good sense of humor, and uh, I like listening to that. And he's going to be uh, on uh, next season's Stargate Atlantis pretty regularly as the new uh, guy in charge there, of course. Uh, he plays Woolsey on, has played him on uh, both SG-1 in the past and on Atlantis. So look for him uh, next season on that show. Hi, this is Robin Curtis, and I played Lieutenant Slavik in Star Trek 3 and 4. You're listening to Rico on Treks and Sci-Fi. Okay, everyone, uh, we've gotten to the point for the main topic. I'm uh, going to talk about some old uh, 1950s-era sci-fi movies uh, it's uh, it's a fun time uh, in that era to watch uh, science fiction at the movies. And let me give you a little bit of history and background and tell you a little bit about that. Uh, the, you know, because of the, you know, during, during the, <laughs> there's my, my, my flubber up, uh, flubber. Oh, that was a good movie too. Got to do that sometime. Maybe Disney films or something that uh, have sort of a geekier fantasy quality. Yeah, that's a good idea. Anyway, getting off subject. The... The time frame for these films had a, had a few things going on. There was um, the end of World War II with the dropping of the atom bomb and all that. It created this sort of, uh, I don't know, this this trend in Hollywood and people thinking that, you know, this radioactive uh, nature of, of atomic, you know, explosions. What happens if, you know, they did a lot of testing out in the deserts of Nevada and and places like that during this time. What happens if, you know, certain things would be exposed to radiation? Of course, most people or most um, scientists would, would tell you, well, that would just kill them. It would mutate their cells and they would die. 
But, of course, science fiction people and Hollywood people thought, no, they would make them big and gigantic, and they would try to, you know, conquer us or whatever, you know, giant spiders or ants. Uh, and then, of course, you had the 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 whole space program really getting going from both uh, uh, the Russians and the United States of that time frame. And, you know, things people started to look up in the sky a lot more, and then that created the, well, what happens about, you know, if aliens from some other world were to come? Because we started to start to think about more than just the planet Earth. We started to realize, hey, there's a lot of other stars, probably a lot of other star systems and, and planets out there. And we're sending objects up into space. Maybe they are, too. And maybe they're even more advanced. And they have the ability to come here. So I think these two things especially were, were a big influence on Hollywood in the 50s. And it created a lot of really fun movies to watch. Uh, these things have been uh, riffed on uh, Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000 quite a bit when that show was airing uh, they did a great job uh, you know they would play a movie and then the, uh, the the guys that were running it the couple of robots and the guy would be you know sitting there in the audience and they would kind of make comments as the movie would go because these things are just a lot of fun to watch most of the ones I'm going to talk about today are not uh, if they were intended to be serious they certainly don't appear to be serious fit now 50 years later to us uh, I think they were sometimes intentionally funny and i think a lot of times unintentionally funny but again still entertaining and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, good times to be had still and i i urge everyone out there if you haven't really seen a lot of this stuff definitely check it out it can be you know seen on tv on cable at times uh just keep an eye out on the listings i'm going to mention probably about 10 or 12 different shows different movies today of course Netflix and other uh, rental places, and you can buy these still on DVDs and stuff like that. So, and and sometimes you get lucky because sometimes they'll even put a couple of these in one DVD package. So, check a lot of this stuff out if you've never had a chance. It's really fun to see. And I'm going to try today to go kind of in chronological order. I it, it ended up I picked a lot of different films out, and it kind of ended up I had one every year for uh, most of the 50s or so. We're going to start off with. Uh, the first one I want to play a clip from is uh, from a classic sci-fi film. It's called When Worlds Collide. So listen to this, and I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about this one. When Worlds Collide. Written in the stars is a message of doom for this, our world. And now in the most shattering experience the screen has ever given you, Paramount tells what could happen within your lifetime when worlds collide. An astronomer checks and double-checks his horrifying discovery. A distant star racing through space toward an inevitable collision with this planet. The United Nations meet in emergency session. All conflicts pale before this threat from another world. If you wait until the danger is visible to the naked eye, it will be too late to escape. High on a mountaintop, an army of scientists work desperately to build this giant rocket. This modern Noah's Ark to carry a few picked survivors of our doomed civilization to a new life on another world, reaching the heights of self-sacrifice, the depths of the animal lust for survival as they fight to be among the few who can be saved. Let's take the ship away from them! Come on! Fighting among themselves, fighting against time, as doomsday is upon them. I think all you scientists are crackpots. Nothing is going to happen. When worlds collide, you'll see the most amazing, awe-inspiring scenes ever put on film. The forces of nature unleashed in all their terrifying force. Tremendous tidal waves smashing New York City. The molten fires from the bowels of the earth gushing out to consume our world. 
Okay, yeah, When Worlds Collide, that was the trailer for it. This one had sort of a a missile-shaped uh, spaceship that was supposed to be sort of a modern uh, Noah's Ark and was going to take uh, some select survivors of the Earth and blast them off into space. It had this big ramp that kind of looked like a, almost like an amusement park ride or a roller coaster ride that was going to, you know, help the ship leave uh, Earth's orbit or, excuse me, leave the gravitational pull of the Earth and kind of help propel them into space. Uh this was probably, out of the ones I'm going to be talking about today, a fairly serious movie for the most part, even though there's a lot of really corny lines in it, like you heard in that trailer. It was um, from a novel by Edwin Balmer and directed by Rudolf Mate. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each individual one. I want to cover quite a few. But anyway, When Worlds Collide from 1951. And let's see, next up... Uh, this one is kind of fun. This one isn't really a movie. It was a serial, which they did a few of these uh, earlier in the uh, movie era. You know, they'd have these short serials. Flash Gordon, uh, Buck Rogers did this kind of thing. And this one is called Zombies of the Stratosphere. And the big thing about this one, this one was from 1952. It starred a, uh, or didn't really star, he was in it. I guess he was one of the stars. Leonard Nimoy played uh, an alien in this uh, before he played Spock. So this is from 52. It is zombies of, or sorry, zombies from the stratosphere. Listen to this. Zombies of the stratosphere. Out of the air and from under the sea, these weird zombies from Mars swarm in to annihilate the Earth. What? What are you? I am Marlix, a native of the planet Mars. Perhaps not quite a human being by earthly standards. The orbit of our planet Mars is so far from the sun that... Climatic and atmospheric conditions there are much inferior to those on Earth. We can construct an H-bomb which, when detonated at the correct time and position, will alter the rotation of a planet enough to change its orbit to any extent we desire. You propose to move Mars into the same orbit as the Earth? Exactly. Their diabolical scheme seems sure of success until Larry Martin is called upon. And so, Larry Martin, we direct you to use all means at your command to rid the Earth of these horrible zombies. We are informed that another of their rockets is now approaching Earth. Is there time to intercept it with your rocket? No, at the rate that ship is traveling, it'll be out of radar range before we can get off the ground. Unless it lands. Then ground defense will handle it, Bob. Unless Mr. Steele thinks we can help. Yes, Larry, I do. It is the duty of my department to handle all matters menacing world security. And you're one of my executives. I realize that your work has usually been in the interplanetary zone. In this case, I think you ought to take charge, both on land and in the air. Very well. There he is. On target, steady as she goes. Firing ray gun. The public brings you weird adventure in 12 explosive, suspense-filled episodes. stratosphere <laughs> that's pretty funny i like how they keep calling that guy larry martin larry martin you must take charge of this situation larry martin your sandwich is here larry martin someone's just here to see you um this um 
This show, again, was a serial of 12 episodes, which they did sort of film all at once over only about a month's time frame. cost about $172,000, according to uh, my research here for the whole thing. Uh, again, the biggest thing probably from this that a lot of people uh, have heard before is that Leonard Nimoy played this guy named Nareb, or Nareeb. Uh, and it's called Zombies of the Stratosphere, not Zombies from the Stratosphere. Sorry about that. Anyway, from 1952. And next up, uh, kind of more more of a monster movie than this one. It's called It Came from Outer Space. Yes, it came from outer space to fill the world with terror, to bring you unforgettable suspense. <coughs> what was it? Where did it come from? Who were the all-powerful creatures it brought from outer space? And what did they want on Earth? You can learn the amazing answer only when you see the most thrilling picture in years. It came from outer space. In the astonishing realism of three dimensions, with objects coming right out of the screen, so real they almost touch you. This one, uh, it came from outer space. It's from uh, 1953. This is also a pretty good one, and uh, it's you know still funny in in places, uh, definitely, especially seeing it 50 years later or so now. But it's uh, it's fairly uh, suspenseful and scary film uh, directed by a guy named Jack Arnold. The story is by Ray Bradbury, a very famous sci-fi and fantasy author. Uh, it uh, it features a lot of actors you'll recognize in very early, some of their early roles. Russell Johnson who, of course, played the professor on Gilligan's Island is in this movie, Barbara Rush, uh, uh, Richard Carlson, uh, several others that you'll recognize, I think, uh, from their later roles. Uh, it went on to win, actually, a Golden Globe. It's basically about a some kind of alien ship that crashes out in the desert. And a lot of these movies were set out in that, you know, area of the, of the country and the deserts of Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, California deserts, and... It was easy to shoot in, uh, and it had that sort of the sort of eerie, otherworldly kind of look to it, which which helped quite a bit. So there you go. It came from outer space. Definitely one to check out from uh, 1953. Okay, next up, uh, we're going to talk about uh, what probably one of uh, out of this list of films, one of the ones I've seen more than the rest, and one of my favorites, uh, This Island Earth. So listen to the clip, and I'll be back and talk about it. The two of you are beginning a strange journey. A journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. Universal International presents the most startling, the most imaginative and suspenseful science fiction drama ever brought to the screen. You'll marvel at the superior intelligence that unleashes its deadly ray. Or can kidnap an airplane in flight. Prisoners hurtling through endless space, speeding toward the unearthly furies of a planet gone mad. 
see sights never before dreamed by man. The battle between guided meteors and deadly rays. They're going to hit us. They're going to hit us. A planet doomed to destruction. While captive Earth people fight for their lives. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world but your own. Run, Ruth, run! Okay, this island Earth. This uh, again uh, at the time a pretty serious sci-fi film uh, and some pretty cool effects. Uh, basically, it's about a planet, uh, Menaluna, that's uh, basically on the verge of destroying itself through a war. And this ship comes to Earth with this guy named Exeter aboard, uh, played by Jeff Morrow, who is looking for basically a new home for them and possibly a way to stop the war that's going on. He meets up with uh, Dr. Kel Meacham, played by Rex Reason, and Dr. Ruth Adams, played by Faith uh, Damarik. I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name correctly, but uh, this is a pretty cool movie. I really enjoy it. It's got a cool monster at the end, this Metalunan guy who looks like um, he's got like a, a big head. I don't know how to describe. He's got these claw hands, and he, of course, uh, makes the uh, scientist, Dr. Ruth Adams, kind of pass out and carries her around. It was used a lot in the the promotional material for the film, in still shots from it. Uh, but a, a real cool movie. Uh, lots of things that uh, are neat to see. the 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 little scenes when they go to Metaluna, especially, are pretty neat. Uh, when they go to that planet and see the war and devastation that's taking place there, uh, the it's just uh, a lot of fun. Again, uh, lots of funny parts as well. Watching it today. But I think uh, still a good movie to watch, and definitely a sci-fi classic. This one, This Island Earth, is uh, from 1955, directed by Joseph Newman. Uh, writers uh, Raymond Jones, Franklin Cohen did the screenplay. It's uh, it's a really good movie, a lot of fun. And Russell Johnson is also in this movie, The Professor. So you could see why he ended up being The Professor on Gilligan's Island, seeing all these 1950s sci-fi films he popped up in uh uh, it's just uh, it's kind of neat to see that in, in some of these other, again, you saw Leonard Nimoy in the, the zombie stratosphere thing, and again, the professor in some of these. Uh, fairly short movie, only 87 minutes long, but uh, a great one, and definitely check it out for, from the you know kind of historical standpoint. This one also, it was sort of used on Mystery Science Theater 3000 a lot, uh, kind of as their backdrop for their, for their uh, sets there, I think, and so they, they had a lot to do uh, with getting this movie sort of promoted, but also to be thought of as sort of a, you know, I like my Mystery Science Theater. It's fun and all that, but I think sometimes it can make people think these movies are, are bad. I don't really consider them any of these things that I'm going to talk about on the show today or any of them. They're not really bad. Everyone at the time, you didn't they didn't set out and think they were doing a bad movie. It's just looking back on them, you know, at this point, 50 years later, they look kind of corny and, and, and kind of hokey and funny to us. But I always wonder when I when I do these kinds of things or look back at a movie, just 50 years ago is not really that much time. I always wonder, you know, it's uh, 
say, a movie from the early 2000s in, in 2050, are they going to look back on our movies and say, man, those things, what, what were these people thinking and uh, how lame and everything and how hokey these things were? I, I wonder if that'll be the case. It's, it'll be interesting to to find out. I guess my kids will probably be there, and uh, it will be interesting if that's the case or not. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not really so sure. I think we're a touch more sophisticated. I, I think we have a little better grasp of science and and the universe and things, and and I don't think we necessarily expect you know big monster bug people to invade us or anything anytime soon. So uh, the next one, I, I skipped one that was just a year before this one. This is another one I've seen quite a few times. The movie uh, for the next clip here, and then I'm going to talk about is called Them, and it's about giant ants. Listen to this. I tell you, gentlemen, science has agreed that unless something is done and done quickly. Man, as the dominant species of life on Earth, will be extinct within a year. I repeat, stay in your homes. Your personal safety, the safety of the entire city, depends upon your full cooperation with the military authorities. Yes, cities, nations, even civilization itself, threatened with annihilation because in one moment of history-making violence, nature, mad, rampant, wrought its most awesome creation. For born in that swirling inferno of radioactive dust were things so horrible so terrifying, so hideous, there is no word to describe them. We may be witnesses to a biblical prophecy come true, and there shall be destruction and darkness come up in creation, and the beasts shall reign over the earth. Yes, the earth, the skies above and the seas below, infested by swarms of nightmare creatures, crueler, deadlier than the armored giants of prehistoric eras. Here is a wild, headlong flight into terror as the desert erupts with the grim battle for survival. Here is a fear-frenzied moment of suspense as mankind totters before a thing that multiplies faster than it can be killed. Here is a desperate plunge into the black depths of the earth where human courage challenges the brute force, the slashing jaws, the poison fangs that guard the subterranean nest where the beast spawns its terrible progeny. To all units, to all units, condition red, drain 267 is the target area. Repeat, condition red, drain 267 is the target area. Okay, them. Uh, this one, them, with uh, an exclamation point at the end of it, is the title of this uh, giant ant monster movie from uh, 1954. This is probably the, uh, I'd say, one of the best of these giant mutated monster films. The for a few reasons. One, the the, the actors are fairly serious. They they do a great job. They they got some top notch talent in this. James Whitmore, uh, who has done just uh, a huge amount of work. He is a police sergeant in this movie. John Agar 
Agar. I can never say his name right. Sorry, but he played uh, Boyce in the first Star Trek pilot in the cage. He was the Dr. Boyce in that. Uh, he is a scientist in this movie, and it is directed by Gordon Douglas, uh, written by Ted Sherderman and Russell S. Hughes. Uh, it's it's got a lot of great actors, and I think that really helps the story. James Arness is in this. Fess Parker, Sandy Dreischer, uh, Sean McClory, uh, just a really good good cast. And the this is basically set out in the deserts again of Arizona, where the early or in New Mexico, I don't think Arizona, sorry, and where early like atomic tests had basically caused the the ants of the area to mutate into these large creatures. Now. The effects kind of look corny sometimes. The ants look a little fake. But they do a pretty good job with it, and, and they actually used a lot of uh, life-size uh, creations that they made for the film. It was actually nominated for an Oscar even, which is kind of interesting. Uh, again, it was from 1954. Uh, this is called Them. It's in black and white like a lot of these are. And I think the black and white thing, uh, they've colorized some of these films Later on, although I still I, I would urge everyone if it was originally in black and white to check it out that way because sometimes I don't know colorized movies to me look kind of funny some somewhat and I, I always I think these movies uh, work a lot more uh, you know they just seem a little bit more interesting a little more suspenseful a little scarier sometimes when you watch them in black and white uh, uh, anyway them check it out the giant ant movie from 1954 okay this. Uh, this next movie is kind of just a fun one, and, and it's pretty hokey, and and uh, it's pretty silly, actually. It's called, uh, this one's called Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. It is from 1958. So listen to the uh, clip, and I'll be back and talk about it. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw descending from the sky a titanic monster whose fearsome touch became a frightful curse. You think I'm drunk, don't you? All of you! I'm not drunk! I'm not! You've got to believe me! Please. It was right in the middle of the highway, 30 feet tall! What, she's in the booby hatch? Throw the key away. That'll put you in the driver's seat. You'd make a wild driver, Harry. With 50 million bucks. What she saw was beyond belief until others, too, faced its hideous, uncontrollable menace. Attack of the 50-foot woman, incredibly huge, with incredible desires for love and vengeance. Okay, yes, Attack of the 50-foot woman, which was actually remade later on uh, with Daryl Hannah, uh, I think in the late 90s or so. This movie is basically uh, kind of a, you know, a, a jilted wife situation. Uh, this is uh, Nancy uh, Archer is her name. Uh, her husband, Harry Archer, is is pretty much a sleazebag and fools around and 
drinks and stuff and and she's uh, not you know happy about that she was in a, actually an institution for a while and she's uh driving down the road and runs into uh, and finds there's this sort of glowing alien and his touch uh, causes her to mutate into this 50 foot uh, version of herself uh, and uh you know you see scenes of her knocking down power lines and uh the the actress allison hayes is fairly attractive and uh they had her wrapped up, I don't know, in, in you know, where a 50-foot woman shops for clothes, but uh, they had her wrapped up in kind of bed sheets, and, and she was almost in sort of like a bathing suit look uh, of the of the 50s style and, you know, tramping down the, the countryside and, and things like that. So, But it's a, it's a kind of a, a guilty pleasure kind of a movie, kind of funny, um, the, the really silly plot. They don't really go into a lot about the alien or anything like that in this movie, but... Uh, it's still fun to see. One thing I also wanted to mention, you notice in all the, a lot of these clips, there's a couple things that seem pretty obvious. You have this voiceover guy who's like, you know, when, you know the earth is about to end, and, and he's got this deep voice, just kind of like they do in trailers now. But you also have a lot of women screaming, and you have very suspenseful, eerie kind of music in a lot of these. So very similar sounds. Uh, this one, again, was uh, from 58. It was by uh, directed by a guy named Nathan Duran, uh, written by Mark Hanna. Uh, came out in May of 58. What I'm noticing, too, when I'm looking up some of this stuff on these movies is a lot of them were summer movies, just like they do now, uh, which, uh, you know, I used to think that that's more of a, you know, after Star Wars and a lot of films like that, uh, Jaws and that started the big summer craze for movies. But even back in the 50s with these sci-fi films, this looks like it was uh, was uh, the time where these movies would be released. Uh, probably a lot of kids enjoyed to go see this kind of stuff, and they were off school then, too, so... Check out Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Uh, woman 50-foot tall is a pretty uh, pretty scary sight. <laughs> All right, what do we got? we got a couple more left, about three, actually. The next one is going to lead into a, a slightly different discussion. This one is about... Uh, uh, the next one is going to be called, or is called, Plan 9 from Outer Space. Now, this is probably the ultimate uh, schlocky movie from this era 1959 made on like no money at all by the amazingly uh let's just say resourceful director ed wood who they did a a later film johnny depp played ed wood in this movie that tim burton worked on and i'm going to talk about that as well after we talk about plan nine from outer space listen to the clip i saw a flying saucer saucer you mean the kind from up there yeah, it's counterpart. It was shaped like a huge cigar. Your guess is as good as mine, Larry. One thing sure, Spectre Clay's dead, murdered, and somebody's responsible. What do you think will be the next obstacle the Earth people will put in our way? Well, as long as they can think, we'll have our problems. But those whom we're using cannot think. They are the dead brought to assimilated life by our electrode guns. You know, it's an interesting thing when you consider the Earth people who can think are so frightened by those who cannot, the dead. Well, our ship should be regenerated. We better get started. Oh, forget about the flying saucers. They're up there. But there's something in that cemetery, and that's too close for comfort. The saucers are up there, and the cemetery's out there. But I'll be locked up in there. Spirits like old Farmer Caller talked about. <laughs> well, maybe. 
The only spirits he saw tonight were those I smelled on his breath. Oh, don't forget, Miss Trent claims to have seen them too. She didn't have anything on her breath. Do you still believe it impossible we exist? You didn't actually think you were the only inhabited planet in the universe. How can any race be so stupid? Stop him, Turner! He's close enough! Turn off your electro gun! I can't get it! It's jammed! Grab him, you fool! This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. That's the fantastic part of it. Okay, uh, this uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, actually originally titled Grave Robbers from Outer Space because these space aliens come in and have these uh, guns that uh, animate the dead uh, to be used uh, to do their bidding. It makes them into zombies. You heard that a little bit in the clips from the film. Uh, This uh, directed or written by, of course, Ed Wood, who was this, you know, very enthusiastic uh, director of the time who who just seemed to love to make movies and and did it any way he possibly could. He would basically film some scenes for this uh, movie and work them in. He'd sort of rewrite the movie with with footage that he would shoot uh, based on that. And Bela Lugosi, the the big part of uh, the Ed Wood movie that Johnny Depp uh, starred in, uh, Bella, excuse me, Bella Lugosi is played by Martin Landau in that, and I'm going to play a clip again for that film in a minute. Ed Wood, uh, he he did some footage with Bella just you know outside his house and just wherever he possibly could. This was just before Bella Lugosi died, and of course, Bella played Dracula famously in the in the movies of uh, his time, and it it just uh, he used his own like Dracula capes that he had saved from the movies and. He just kind of moves around, and it's just really interesting to watch Ed Wood. I have to encourage everyone to check that out if you like this movie. This is sometimes called the like worst movie ever or worst science fiction movie ever. I don't think it's really that way. He used everything he possibly could to make this movie. He didn't get permits to go out and do shooting of the film. He would use paper plates and, and tin pans as flying saucers and light them on fire and... Uh, just whatever you know, it's it's just great to see his ingenuity and enthusiasm for making this uh, that Ed Wood had. It he actually made it in 1956. He spent a, several years trying to get somebody to distribute the movie uh, because of uh, you know just no one really wanted to touch it. I guess uh, he went to lots and lots of studios or, or places to uh, to get the movie released through. So uh, it's uh, it's great. Uh, Great to see. Lots of fun to watch still. Uh, it's been colorized. I'd still say try to watch it in black and white. Uh, a cool uh, cool movie and definitely a, a historical, uh, big historical footnote in, in the, the type of movies of this era. I'm going to play now the uh, movie. I think this is the movie trailer for Ed Wood. Listen to this and I'll come back and, and talk a little bit about more about these two movies. Tim Burton, director of Batman, Beetlejuice, and Edward Scissorhands, now takes you to a completely different world. The true story of a Hollywood legend, Ed Wood. And action! He made movies like no one else. You want to keep moving? You've got to get through that door. Ah, that was perfect. Perfect? Do you know anything about film production? Well, I'd like to think so. He had an eye for talent. I met Bella Lugosi. What? 
thought he was dead. This is the most uncomfortable coffin I've ever been in. No, he's very much alive. <laughs> you flying saucer? He had a passion for storytelling. Get me transvestites. I need transvestites. You're flashy. They want that. Okay. But they want professionalism. So Nick's on the Nelly without losing naivete. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? And he had a secret he couldn't hide. I like to dress in women's clothing. Panties, sweaters, pumps. It's just something I do. You don't like sex with girls? No, I love sex with girls. Wearing their clothes makes me feel closer to them. How can you act so casual when you're dressed like that? All right, everybody, let's finish this picture. Touchstone Pictures presents Johnny Depp. Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Patricia Arquette, and Bill Murray in the true story of an unforgettable filmmaker. We're making another movie. I got the Church of Beverly Hills to put up the cash. How do you get all your friends to get baptized just so you can make a monster movie? And his legacy that will live forever. How do you turn this off? Shake his legs around. Looks like he's killing. Ah! This is the one. This is the one I'll be remembered for. Ed Wood, a Tim Burton film. Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. Hello? Yeah, so that uh, that uh, trailer for Ed Wood there, great movie. Uh, definitely something you should check out. It's from 1994. Uh, Martin Landau, really, who played uh, John Koenig on Space 1999, does a great job in that he won an oscar for uh, the best supporting role for ed wood which uh you know shows you how good he does uh, as playing bella lugosi in that movie uh really gives you some insight into ed wood uh the whole thing about him dressing up in women's clothing is kind of uh really a side point so don't let that put you off uh it's it's just something that shows up a few times in the movie and uh, it's just I love Johnny Depp's performance in, in Ed Wood, and it just shows the maverickness and, and enthusiasm, like I said earlier, about his his passion to make these films no matter what. And it also uh, won Ed Wood won for Best Makeup, too, which uh, the the some of the people in when he made the uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space film has some pretty elaborate makeup on. There's this big sort of zombie alien-looking guy and... And Bill Murray's in the movie as well, and Ed Wood. It's just a great movie. Definitely check that out. And it's done in uh, black and white as well, which fits in with the time. Okay, the the last uh, film that I wanted to hit on isn't really from this era, but it's sort of a throwback to movies of this time. And I really wanted to mention it because it's a really fun movie. And if you watch this, it's it, it's a little more modern in, in the way it looks and, and to some degree, you know, the actors and things like that. But it's the whole script story setting and the schlock factor i think fits in very much with the kind of movies i've been talking about here the movie i'm talking about now is from 2001 it's called the last or or, sorry the last the lost skeleton of cadavra and it's basically about this skeleton out in the desert that sort of um i don't know i don't i don't really even know how to explain let me play the clip first and i'll try to come back and have uh, some thoughts on how to explain this movie but it's a lot of fun listen to the uh to the clip here and i'll be back in a second
Betty, you know what this meteor could mean to science. It could mean actual advances in the field of science. Aliens? Us? Is this one of your Earth's jokes? May God have mercy on us all. skeleton of cadavra but you will you will quite as much dialogue as i had hoped in it uh, i thought it had a little bit more i found one other one this one's a little shorter it's only about a minute long but it's a little bit more dialogue from lost skeleton of cadaver so let me play this and then i'll come back and talk about the movie oh paul could that be your meteor there is a radioactive element known as atmospherium this silly old meteor as you call it could be made of atmospherium do you know what that could mean for mankind you must find this and bring it to me well time to find a meteor Aliens, from outer space. Earth contains that rarest of all radioactive elements, atmospherium. I hope the owners don't mind their good dishes holding a radioactive meteor. Don't eat the meteor by mistake, whatever you do. Seriously, we'll clean the dishes before we go. Okay, yes, the the lost skeleton of Cadavra. This movie uh, is definitely a throwback to the '50s style sci-fi and monster movies. Uh, there's a skeleton out in the desert uh, that wants them to bring the um, this atmospherium thing to them. These aliens show up uh, the, from the planet Marva that they uh, talk about a few times. There's this woman called Anamala who does this weird sort of like slave Orion slave girl dance in the movie. It's really schlocky. It was uh, it was definitely made with humor in mind and a throwback to those old uh, 1950s movies. Larry uh, Blameyer, I think is how you say his name, he wrote and directed it. He stars in it also as Dr. Paul Armstrong. You heard him in a few of those clips there. Brian Howe, who was the editor guy uh, on Journeyman, editor of the newspaper uh, there that Dan worked at, uh, He's in this movie as well. He plays Dr. Roger Fleming. Uh, just lots of fun stuff about this uh, from 2001 again. Uh, and they are doing a sequel to this, I found out. Uh, the Lost Skeleton 
of Cadavera returns again or rises again. I can't recall the exact title of it, but that should be coming out. Keep an eye out for that. Uh, it's a good movie, and if you enjoy these kinds of films, uh, you want to check that out. A couple other last-minute comments about this whole topic uh, that I wanted to say. There's a site called a Riff Tracks. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, R-I-F-F-T-R-A-X. Uh, Mike Nelson, who was on Mystery Science Theater, they do uh, these riffs on um, audio riffs for movies, uh, some modern movies too, like The Matrix and Star Wars and things like that. Uh, it's just audio, but basically you you pay for them, and then you can play the audio while you're listening to uh, some of these movies. And it's very much in the, the similar vein of Mystery Science Theater, so I wanted to point that out as well to people. Since a lot of the films on Mystery Science Theater of that they talked about and, and looked at were these kinds of films and the ones that they had sort of spoofed on there. So I hope you've, hope you've enjoyed this look at these kinds of films. This is stuff that I used to watch growing up as a kid, uh, and even then I knew it wasn't really the, you know, the highest level of sci-fi and real serious stuff, but it's still, like I said, a lot of fun to watch, and I don't consider any of these movies bad at all. I think they're still good movies and fun to see. Uh, there's a difference between when somebody tries to make a movie uh, that's very good in a way, and it, they just do a bad job of it, and versus one of these kind of movies where they're very earnest and they're trying very hard to make the kind of movie that they want to make, and this is how it comes out. So I, I hope that's uh, explained, I guess, well enough. So let's uh, go on to uh, our collectible and segue away from the sci-fi movie topic. It's time for a collectible review on Trexy Sci-Fi. Okay, today on the Collectible Review, I'm going to talk about a statue that I got a few weeks ago. Uh, this is from uh, Sideshow Toys. Uh, I've been wanting this statue for quite a while. It came out, uh, I guess it was first out maybe six months or so ago, and I, I finally decided to get it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very large statue. Anyway, it is uh, a statue of uh, the Darkness character, Lord of Darkness, from the, the 80s movie with Tom Cruise called Legend. Uh, if you remember that fantasy tale uh, that was directed by Ridley Scott, uh, it was uh, a very uh, beautiful movie, probably one of the prettiest movies I've ever seen. But there was this uh, sort of fantasy world with little creatures and unicorns. And uh, the, the, then there was, of course, the the bad guy of the movie, Darkness, uh, who was this very devil-looking character. He had these huge horns. He was all in red, had these this evil face and teeth and everything. Well, the the statue that Sideshow made is uh, a likeness of that Darkness character. It's in a, a premium format that they call a, like one-quarter scale, which makes it very big because his character was big in the movie. This thing stands about 20, I guess about 2 feet, about 24 inches high. Uh, he's got a staff, uh, and uh, it's spectacular. I, I really can't describe it very well with words. Again, the best place is to look at the collection gallery of photos on the website at treksandsci-fi.com. I'll have some photos up in the podcast notes for this week, but they did an excellent job. He has this big black uh, robe or cape on, which they use regular cloth for when they created this piece. It's not, you know, molded plastic or anything like that. Uh, the They had two different versions of it. There was the exclusive uh, version, which comes with two different uh, hands for him. In one hand, in his right hand, he has this large staff, 
which he uses and has in the movie. And in his left hand, he can either hold a sword, which the normal version comes with, but if you get the exclusive version, which I got, you get two different hands, one with a sword and one with a unicorn horn, which if you know the movie, uh, Darkness, uh, the, the character of Darkness is after the horn of a unicorn, and that sort of plunges the world into, uh, you know, darkness, I guess. <laughs> it, it's, uh, But it's, it's a great piece. Uh, if you are a fan of the movie Legend, I believe these are still available over at Sideshow Toys. Uh, I'll try to put a link in the podcast notes to uh, to directly ordering it. Like I said, there's two different versions. Uh, one thing I would have to say, though, is if you if you buy this, uh, and I urge people that are you know fans of this to check it out. It's uh, it's a big piece. You got to have a place to put it. I'm I'm still trying to find a good spot in my house to put it. I'm I'm probably going to get another case from IKEA, and uh, it's going to take up a good portion of probably about half that case. But it is. Uh, a huge piece, heavy, and uh, but well worth the money, I think, if you're a fan of that movie. So, And I've really been enjoying collecting some of these uh, statues from Sideshow. They're doing a great job. They've got some very cool Marvel uh, comics statues that they're doing and uh, other movie things as well, Hellboy and a lot of other pieces. So there you go with uh, the review. It's it's an excellent. Oh, the, the, the paint application on this piece is just perfect. Uh, I do have to mention uh, one other thing about it, though. If you do pick it up, be careful and check out the uh, how the ears. There are these two small ears that stick out on him, and I guess in some people that have picked it up, uh, that have mentioned that statue forums, uh, there's a forum just about statue collecting that I uh, check out now and then. They've uh, some people have gotten broken uh, pieces with broken off ears because it's they do pack things well, but you know stuff does happen, so that is one thing to watch out for. But I, I'm sure you'll notice that if you pick it up. But the darkness statue from Legend, a great piece. Well, gang, uh, we come to the end of another Treks and Sci-Fi podcast. I hope you enjoyed this slightly different type of uh, show this week and maybe uh, brought up a few movies from uh, the 50s that you might want to check out if you've never seen these, uh, especially if you're a younger uh, fan and listener to the podcast. You know, Star Trek and Star Wars are great, but, you know, you got to sometimes expand and look at other things. It's, uh, it's a whole wide world of sci-fi and TV and movies out there. I like to check it all out when I can. So uh, next week we're going to probably be back, like I said, to Trek. Uh, I'll be announcing what episode I'll be looking at on the main website and on the forum probably. And so watch out for that. And uh, I think that's about all. Check out the forums and order a T-shirt. There are links on the main site and on the forum as well to do that for the next couple of weeks. So until next time, everyone, have a great week. Talk to you again next time. For information on Treks and Sci-Fi, visit the Treks and Sci-Fi website at www.treksinsci-fi.com. This has been a Rico Dodge production.